Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning, Vox. How are you guys? Morning, morning, morning. Andy, how's it going, bud? Good to see you, man. How are you? Good, good. What's your name? Sam, good to have you, man. Hey, uh, my name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here, one of the teachers. This is Will. Hello. Will, tell everybody what you do. In case someone doesn't know, they're new here, they're like, what does Will do? What do I do here? Uh, I hang out with the junior high students who are not, are you guys in here yet? They'll be coming in shortly. Uh, I help teach and I play the drums. A man of many talents. My three roles. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I want to let you uh, know a few things that are happening around uh, Vox. Uh, We have um, our Vox dinners that are coming up. So if you haven't signed up to be a part of the Vox dinners, uh, they're open right now. Um, They're going to start this week. So jump online, voxoc.com. You can uh, sign up to be in one. They're all over the place. We have a South County one. Andy and myself are hosting those. Um, And so uh, if you're going like, what is that? It's just dinner. It's just a way for us to get together, uh, to connect, to hang out, um, to invite people from our community too, to just be a part of what's happening. And there's something really cool and unique about sitting around food and a table and a house and having conversation. Um, it really is where I think the church happens. And so uh, if that's something you're interested in, go online, check it out. If you want, you can talk to anybody with an orange lanyard. Those are our community pastors. Uh, we have them around. They'll be during here during the service to pray for you as well. Um, so that's important for you to know. So make sure you sign up for that. And then the other thing is, uh, Vox is sort of a unique community. And for those of you who've been with us for a while, you understand that this is a little bit different. We don't do things the way that, you know, kind of churches do things. Um, and that's, there's an intention to that. There's a, there's a reason why. And so one of the things is that we love questions. And I got to say, uh, when we started this Acts series, we invited you to read along and, and participate and have, you know, conversations about what you're reading and what does it mean. And the questions that have been coming in uh, over the last couple weeks, honestly, uh, and Will can attest to this, being in seminary, you guys ask better questions than seminary students do. Uh, I'm not even joking. Like some of it, it's I'm, true. I'm like, I don't even know how to answer this question. What, is this, what does this even mean? So uh, a couple things before we jump into the questions and answer some of them. Uh, we don't pretend to know the answers to any of these questions. Uh, in fact, the beauty of a good question, does anybody know what the beauty of a good question is? It begs other questions, right? If you ask a good question, it creates more questions. And so hopefully that's what will happen as you see what happens when we ask questions. You're going to go, I have tons more questions. Uh, and that's a good thing. We want to embrace those, we want to invite those. And so hopefully as we jump into this, you'll see there's more questions that abound. So thank you for asking them. Keep them coming. They don't have to be about the message. It can be about this church. It can be about the way the church is uh, at large. And if you have any questions about that, please send them in. There's a text message that you can text, um, and we'll try to get to those as we can. So with that, let's uh, see the first question that came in. All right. I have two questions, a long one and a short one. Oh, goody. Okay. Uh, if Jesus focuses, uh, if Jesus's focus is this, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Then they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is uh, in reference to Acts 1. Uh, Jesus says something like, the political salvation of my oppressed people is not your focus for you. The kingdom we talk about will be present when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the question uh, that they're asking, is it almost seems like Jesus is giving the disciples a non-answer. Like he's almost dodging the question at large. So 
with that power, <clears throat> give testimony about me everywhere in the world. What is this Jesus kingdom we witness about? Such a good question. We'll get to the second one. The second one, what in the practical terms is the power of the Holy Spirit? So we'll get to that in a second, but we need to talk about the first one. Great question, because Jesus talks about this kingdom a lot, the Jesus kingdom. We see that. Um, one of the very first things he preaches when he talks in Matthew chapter 4 is repent for the kingdom of, ha of heaven is at hand. And so what does all that mean? Well, we have to understand the context in which it was written, right? That's the first thing. We look at the text and go, what, what was being said and why was it being said? Um, Luke is writing Acts with perspective. He's about, you know, 30, 40, 50 years down into the Jesus movement already, and he's reflecting back into the time where the disciples were unsure about what was going on. Jesus had already died. Um, some people had seen him, and they were questioning, okay, is this the time? Because they had been told, their whole generations before them had been told by their prophets, a kingdom was coming for them. A kingdom is a very political statement in this time because uh, the Jewish people were under a kingdom, the Roman Empire, uh, and this kingdom was cruel, and it wasn't kind to them, and they were oppressed by them. And so uh, when Jesus starts to talk about a kingdom, he's doing something, and the writer is actually showcasing something, which Jesus is subverting right under the nose of the greatest military power the world has ever seen, that a new kingdom is about to happen. See, the disciples at the time were still stuck on old ways of kingdom because old ways of kingdom looked like boundaries. It looked like borders. It looked like tribalism. It looked like warfare. And when you wanted to start a new kingdom, then what did you do? Well, you amassed an army. You got power. You used violence. And you went and you overtook people. And that's how you created your kingdom, right? And so uh, it begs the next question. Look, okay, what is a kingdom and why does Jesus talk about it? Well, a kingdom is simply this. It's the range of your effective will. It's where what you want done gets done, right? So you have a kingdom or a queendom, right? So it's the things that you have control. It's the way that you order your world. It's the way that you order things. And so Jesus says that there's a new way of doing things. There's a new way that's going to order things. And he flips the entire world upside down or right side up, if you will. Because how did you make a kingdom? With violence, with war, right? With overcoming and, and conquering people. And so Jesus comes on the scene and then begins to tell them about a different type of kingdom. A kingdom that says, love your enemies. Pray for those who want to persecute you. Which, you know, it's easy to love people who are like you, but then Jesus says, no, 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 go one step further and pray for the people who are different than you. Love them and care for them. In a world, in a kingdom that was set up through power, through dominance, through authority, through violence, Jesus presents a new kingdom that says, no, it's through humility and through weakness and love and mercy and compassion that we subvert this kingdom, this powerful kingdom. And so what Jesus is saying is, this is the kingdom that I'm setting up. And, this, and through his people, through the witness, we are showing people what God is like. This is who God is like. Jesus stepping into humanity, uh, revealing the kingdom, is showing us what God is like today. What a beautiful thing, right? We call this the incarnation, right? That Jesus came, he stepped in, in human flesh, became like us, and showed us what God is like. This is the incarnation. We get to be a part of that, which now brings up the second question. What in practical terms, oh, sorry, the, go back. The, part B, sorry, yeah. What in practical terms is this power of the Holy Spirit about being a witness? So <clears throat> the pillars, right? We talk about the incarnation. This is a big theological word for God becoming human. 
The second pillar for us as Christianity is the resurrection, that Jesus came as a human, he died, he was buried, he rose again. And through that resurrection, we are promised the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus living in us. John says that he abides in us, he lives in us. And so what is this power to witness? Well, as we go into the world, we get to show the world what Jesus is like what God is like. Now, how does that happen? Well, <clears throat> it happens through this process of transformation. So um, it'd be easy for us to look at the Bible and look at some of the things that are set up and go, oh, all we need to do is be a good person. In fact, uh, in Galatians, Paul says that there's a list of the, the spirits. The spirit has fruit, right? It shows itself in a couple ways. And you know those, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's easy to go, oh yeah, that's what I have to do. I have to do those things and then I can be like Jesus. Well, that's not exactly the way that works, right? Have you ever tried to just be patient? Have you ever just one day was like, I'm gonna be patient? Yeah, I'm patient, right? It doesn't work, right? Like that's not a checklist of things to do in order to become patient. If you wanna be patient, have kids, right? <laughs> have you ever tried to get out of the house on time with a five-year-old? It doesn't happen. It's like their mind clicks into slow-mo, like, and you're like, come on, hurry up, right? But it teaches you patience. So the ordinariness of everyday life, the Holy Spirit living in us, begins to transform us and change us. We begin to learn things when we suffer well. We have children, we, have, we deal with our family members, and we learn to be patient and kind and gentle in everyday life. So rather than a checklist of things to achieve, you actually get transformed and become the kind of person who naturally exudes those things. That happens to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the kicker, here's the kicker. Are you ready for this? The Holy Spirit is a gift given to you, free of charge. You can't earn it, there's nothing you can do. It's just given to you. And so you get to just embrace that. And so what happens is we allow ourselves to enter into that kingdom, that new kingdom, and be a witness to the world. So that's a nutshell of kind of that question, I think. If you have more questions, hopefully you do, you can ask them. Will's got question number two, because this came from your message, right? Awesome. Well done, Ronnie. You realize they essentially asked you to summarize Jesus's yeah, entire yeah. main message. I did it in like six minutes, so sorry. Whew. Yeah. I was sweating it for you there. Okay. <clears throat> question two. Regarding interpretation of inspiration last week, I think this was actually a couple weeks ago. We're just now getting to this question. Can you say the Bible is inerrant and infallible? It seems that errors and bad teaching would be possible. And like Ronnie was saying, the great thing about doing Q&A is now we're responding to a previous question and answer, and it's sort of more of a dialogue, and it's really fun to get to do that. So uh, what we said last time was that God doesn't steamroll over human personalities in the Bible, but he uses their experience and their education and everything about them. And so this person's follow-up is, well, humans none of us would say they're infallible or free of error. So what does that, that inerrant and infallible mean? Yeah, we're getting there in a second. Okay, so, um, <laughs> and so uh, could it be possible that errors have crept in? Okay, and so good point, Ronnie. Inerrant and infallible are these theological words that you may have heard being thrown around a lot and sort of people planting their flag on the hill of inerrancy or an infallibility. And terms are only as useful as the truths they represent. And sometimes terms get really muddy and sometimes they, they get utilized in a way that's unhelpful. What they both essentially mean, there is some nuance between them, but for the sake of this morning, what they mean is that the Bible is absolutely trustworthy and that we don't have to question the major truth claims and storyline revealed in the Bible. 
That's what's being said. And so someone who is strongly opposed to either one of these terms, chances are they have a lot of doubts and questions about whether or not they can base their life on the scriptures. Um, And I don't want to necessarily defend either term, uh, but I will tell you here at Vox, the reason we open the scriptures weekly is because we believe they are powerful and that they are truly God's words. And so, again, we could get into the nuances of terms, but there's a reason why we do things like Lectio Divina. Uh, There's a reason why we uh, teach from the scriptures each week. Uh, But if you're wrestling with this question of inerrancy or infallibility, uh, it's going to be a bit repetitive from my last response. But I would say step one is not to go down some road of apologetics. and to try to pull in all these arguments uh, from history, I think the starting place is to look at Jesus himself for a couple reasons. One, he claimed to be the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament story. In other words, he's saying that story's true and I'm fulfilling it. So you wanna start with who Jesus is. How much do you trust him? How seriously do you take him? I wrote down a couple of these things here. Um, He endorses the Old Testament. Again, this is a little bit of review, so he quotes it constantly. Um, But here's another one, the resurrection. Okay, think about how bold of a claim that is. To me, the whole scriptures sort of hinge on whether or not the resurrection is true. We believe that Jesus not only died, but then was resurrected back to life. And that's actually a very bold claim that the early apostles made, and one that could be tested and questioned. In other words, it made Christianity's claims vulnerable. Because if you're saying someone rose from the dead, it's pretty easy to disprove that. That sounds ridiculous. No one in the first century thought that was possible. Even Jewish people, no one expected the Messiah to to rise from the dead. So I would say start with Jesus and his claim, and then from there, work, work through to the rest of the scriptures. A um, couple other thoughts. Okay, for those of you who are like, give me a little bit more. Um, to me, here's what's suspect. If you're going to say a book is inspired by God, if there's one human author, you, you have to take their word for it alone. There's no other way to verify it. That's what a lot of religious texts do. Uh, A contrast with the Bible is it's written over a thousand years, has over 40 human authors, um, different time periods, obviously uh, some different cultural stages. And when you look at the message of the Bible, there's what we call unity. There's an ongoing narrative that again is completed in Jesus. Um, But we're not saying this text came from one person who claimed, oh, I've got it. We're saying this text developed over literally a millennium. And when you examine each part of the story, there's agreement, there's alignment. Um, You just don't see that in a lot of other texts. But again, bottom line is go to Jesus, look at his claims, become convinced of who he is. The resurrection is not something to fear. If you have doubts about it, press in and look more closely. There's some amazing resources that have been written on that. Uh, There's some historians that have done amazing work on that. And it's a bold claim. So go start there and investigate and see what you find. That's what I would say. That's good. All right. 
All right, uh, question three. I think there's one last one. I'll try to get this one quickly. Uh, Acts 2.38 uh, seems to be saying you must be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. This is confusing. Are you saved by baptism, faith in Christ, or relationship with Christ, good works, faith in God, etc.? Good question. Um, I know lots of people have, have thought this and, you know, different um, religions have taught that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Again, contextually, let's understand what's being said. So Peter is talking about being baptized in Acts 2. And uh, he says, you must call upon the name of Christ to be saved and be baptized. And so what is he saying? Um, well, if you understand what Luke is doing, Luke is telling his reader, this is a callback to a prophet named Joel. Joel had said that you call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And so what he's doing is uh, Luke is, is, is through Peter's messages showing you how he's weaving Jews and Gentiles together. See, in first, first century Jewish culture, they understood ceremonial cleansing. In order to be considered clean, to be able to go into the temple and worship, you had to be ceremonially washed. You needed to be clean to be able to do that. Um, they understood how water was used. They understood these things. Now, for them, it was a repetitive process in order to become clean. And with Jesus, what Peter is saying and what Luke is saying is that once and for all, there is a bridge that, that cleans Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free man. Once and for all, there is one thing that frees everybody, and it is the person of Jesus. And so when he's saying be baptized to be saved, it's a call back to an Old Testament prophet, and he's using that to say you can be clean once and for all. You never have to keep doing this over and over and over again. It's a one-time thing and you can be cleansed. Now, that isn't to say that you would be saved in the way that we today think of being saved. Um, Paul's pretty clear uh, that you know it comes through faith and faith alone, that we believe in who Jesus is. And so this baptism in this particular passage is not saying you must be baptized to be saved. He's talking to a Jewish audience, reminding them that the cleansing, the law that had told them, this is what you need to do, is now fulfilled through Jesus. And it's a one-time thing. And Everybody can do it. So it's a way for us today to identify with Christ. Uh, the baptism, if you've ever seen a baptism, going fully underwater, coming up out of it, is uh, a symbol of death, burial, and resurrection, that when you come out of the water, you have been clean and you walk into a new life. It's a way to identify um, as Christians, and so we, we continually use that today. And so um, here at Vox, we've done baptisms in the past, and actually I would say this before closing, if you have questions about baptism, and that's something that you want to do as an act of obedience, to say, hey, I'm following Jesus. I identify with this Jesus person. Come talk to me. Um, there's lots of questions around that. I'd love to talk with you more. So good questions. Please keep them coming. Um, again, we don't have all the answers. We're not claiming that these are the answers. In fact, lots of us on staff probably disagree about some of the different things, but that's okay. We think that's a value, not a bad thing. So please keep asking and uh, we'll keep answering as best we can. So uh, we're done here. Without further ado, we let's bring it. out Carrie. We yeah, we it. did it. Uh, we'll bring out Carrie. Gary, good to, good to have you. You guys are so smart. So smart. I am not that smart. So thank you so much. <laughs> Hi, guys. Good morning. Did you, you guys are all taking notes. You got all of that down. That was a lot. That was a lot of information. Keep asking questions. Questions are good. I saw Smallfoot last night. Anybody seen Smallfoot? Raise your hand, anybody that has a child. Okay, three of you. Um, and then Emily, who doesn't have a kid. <laughs> Stop seeing kid movies, Emily. <laughs> um, and it was all about don't ask questions and stuff, like don't question anything, just obey. And I was all, 
huh, I'm trying to ask my daughter, what do you think the hidden message was there? And she was like, I don't know, like people with small feet? I'm like, hmm. <laughs> not sure that was it, but I guess we'll go there later. Uh, my name is Carrie. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I, I love you guys. I'm so excited to be here and share. We are in a series of acts. Uh, we've been kind of fumbling our way through it uh, because we had this big undertaking that in like 12 weeks or something, we were going to cover all of acts. I don't know. I don't know. Everyone, the, the pastoral team got lofty. Um, and I was not there when they made that decision. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I actually wasn't there, but I was like, cool, let's do it. Um, and uh, so today I get to kind of talk with you guys about Acts chapter eight and chapter nine. There was no way for me to go into Acts chapter eight. So we're just go read it. You guys are all reading it, right? You're all tracking. You're all, thank you for the one head that shook yes. Uh, you should be reading along and going and reading and pressing into the different stories. Last week we heard about Stephen and martyrdom and Acts is being kind of set up. We are establishing the first church. It was actually called The Way um, at the beginning before we kind of, uh, they kind of cloaked this idea and word of Christians. It was the people that were following The Way. And uh, where we meet in the scriptures right now is um, kind of the introduction a little bit of Paul. Now, Paul, who was Saul, was actually in there. So even when Stephen was martyred, uh, when he was killed, like you heard last week, they actually threw his clothes at the feet of who they believe was actually Saul at the time, Paul, um, and that he was a part of that and orchestrated that. So Paul is very much in what's going on here. He's a force for um, the Jewish government. He He's a force for rabbis and Sadducees and kind of sits and, and, um, and follows and is very, very committed to the way of Judaism. And um, so he is not, you know, he was standing there watching Stephen, probably was part of saying, take him out, uh, and was part of the narrative, but we don't know much about him um, in the scriptures, but chapter nine in Acts, we get an idea of really what's going to happen and what we will happen to Paul. Um, I kind of looked back over my life. I, I am a hustler. I've always been a hustler. And now God took my heart and changed it. And then now we call it an entrepreneur, but I still think I'm just a hustler. Uh, I've always been a hustler ever since I was little. Like you guys have heard so many stories. I told you I started a, a circus in my house because I wanted candy cigarettes. You know, like it's always been hustling. And when I, even when I was stuck in my drug addiction and all like crazy, I still was slanging cash and selling drugs. So I've always been like, I got to make money. I got to make money. And that's kind of how it always was. And even now I work for Jesus and I just like hustling truth rather than because I don't get paid anything really. So money kind of went out the window and I just started like hustling truth, I guess. Um, and I kind of looked at that and I, I was looking at my life and I'm like, you know, I, I've always been this. I, I still am this. I still am kind of this hustler kind of chick. I'm kind of rough around the edges and see things a little differently, but, you know, kind of in your face and speak a truth. And people are like, you know, it's like you're really raw and kind of edgy, but I feel like I want to hug you and I'm really confused. And I'm like, yeah, it feels about right. When we find ourselves in, uh, in Acts chapter 9, we're gonna, you know, we're, we're finding out a little bit about what, who Paul is and what, uh, where Paul's going. You know, we are always on the way somewhere. 
always, right? You came on the way here today and something could have stopped you. And I know if you have kids, it's like a crapshoot whether or not you're getting here or not. And you're just, there's no Jesus for 30 minutes before you leave because it's like, get lost, we gotta go, you know, it's just crazy. But you're always kind of on the way somewhere. We're on the way to work. We're on the way to church. We're on the way to a movie. We're always kind of on the way somewhere and things happen to us along the way, right? And this is kind of where we find Paul. And now just to understand Paul, Paul is Jewish, He had a lot of favor. His family had a lot of favor and Roman privilege. This gave him access to a lot of training and a lot of teaching. He actually was taught by one of the most uh, revered uh, rabbis ever. He was under his tutelage. He was studied, very studied in the scriptures. um, Very, like he was all in. This is Paul. Uh, He also was a zealot. He was very passionate. He was feisty. He was extremely passionate and very influential. Paul is not a side guy in the round table of Pharisees. He is a main dude. He has incredible influence. You need to understand though that Paul actually at that time, Saul, Actually, that's not true. His name was Paul in um, Romans in Jewish circles and Saul in Roman circles. So his name was always Paul and Saul. A lot of people think that he then got a name once he came to know Jesus, and he did not. And that's important to know because he was always Paul, even when he was Saul. And I think that's important for us to understand. Uh, is that funny? Okay, great. Um, I'm funny and I don't even know I'm being funny. That's awesome. That's how you know you're good. Um, so that will, that will play into itself a little bit later. But Saul is a bad guy. You know, when we read scriptures about him, we're like, yeah, he's a bad guy. But then he came to know Jesus and we hear all the things. That, no, he's like really, really a bad guy. I was trying to think of some of the worst people that we look over in history of who wants to take out an entire race of people. You know, we think of like Hitler. Think of someone who is smart and influential and passionate and can get loads of people to do many things and check their brains out, you know, of their head and go and have complete genocide in the name of nationalism. We think of some of our leaders that, you know, are influential and they're evil. Paul, Saul, evil, not a good guy. So when we find Saul in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering, I think I have a different um, text than this one, but I actually like this one, and it's my fault because I gave him that one, but they're both great, so I'm just going to read. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to destroy the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. He found there, he wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was nearing Damascus, okay, so we just want to stop there. So here he goes and he goes before the powers that be. And he's like, look, 
We got a riot going on our hands. We got this way, these people of the way, and they are infringing upon the truth that we know to be true, that we believe in. They are infringing upon uh, what our rights are, what our thoughts are, what our, you know, our rules are, and we don't like it. So put me in charge, because I've already handled Stephen. You see how I handle people that rise up against me. So put me in charge, and I'm going to go take them out. I'm going like, to chain them up. I'm going to chain up the women. going to chain up the men. We're going to silence this thing once and for all. And they know that the SS Paul, Saul, will do this. So they're like, go ahead. So Saul takes two of his buddies, two of his like armed guards, and he takes them and they're like, on the way. So we're always on the way somewhere. Sometimes we're on the way to destruction and sometimes we're on the way to truth. Sometimes we're on the way to a movie. Sometimes we're on the way to church. Sometimes we're on a way. We don't know where we're going. We're just on a way. We're just walking around. <laughs> Paul, Saul, is on the way. Verse 3. As he's nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? Now, in the text that you're reading up here on the script, it says, who are you, Lord? He's not referring to him as Lord God, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Now, remember, he believes in God. This is Lord Jehovah. This is Lord from his old scriptures, the scriptures that he knows, who is this Lord King voice. But this isn't as in submission. This is in, I have no idea who this is. And the voice replies, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Notice oftentimes uh, when God speaks, he will say, this is God, I am. But Jesus wants to be very clear who's speaking to, to Saul right now. Because Saul believes in God. He believes in a God. He believes that, you know, the scriptures and the God will come. This is, this is not like he's like an atheist and doesn't believe. No, he believes in God. He believes actually that what he's doing is right before God. We've seen that a lot, right? And yet Jesus wants to be very clear who's speaking. Oh no, this is Jesus. Not only is this Jesus, it's the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men with Saul stood speechless, surprised, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. And Saul picked him up, himself up off the ground, and he found that he was blind. So his companions had to lead him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days. And all that time he went without food and water. So what's happening here? On his way to destruction, he gets stopped by a light. Saul, what's happening? I'll change any of you. You hear a light, you see a light, you hear a voice, you're wetting your pants and you're following whoever is speaking from that. Here he is, minding his own business. Actually, he's minding the business of all the religious right on his way to absolutely destroying a group of people. Not a thought in his mind, not a conviction in his heart. In fact, he's convicted for something, all right? It is to take them out. I wonder how many times for us in our own lives are we on the way somewhere and we get interrupted by something or someone 
And it could be a, as we're standing and going on the way, we have these kind of two paths, right? We can go down this road that we know is going to lead to destruction, or we can go down this road that could potentially lead to life, and we don't know which way to go, but we're on the way somewhere, and if you don't choose a way, the way will choose you. See, Saul now has a choice. Saul now has been interrupted on his way with something that he can't explain away. He has no idea fully what's happened. He just knows that I cannot see and something happened to me that I can't explain. And he doesn't eat. Now he can't see. You take away your sight, man, you're left with a lot of thoughts. Looking for a certain way out, he can't see it. I think about these guys that are in the story. We don't know much about them, but how often are we those kind of bystanders watching somebody's life change right in front of us or seeing something happen and, and, and just watching what has happened to them can't help but affect us. I don't know, you know, what eventually happened to them, but I would assume, and this is my assumption, But just as Paul heard a voice from heaven and so did they, I think they were radically changed. You know, not even directly to them, but changed by watching. Some of you here have seen the lives of people in your life change and it brought you to an understanding of faith. It's pretty powerful that God's effect on our life can happen through the life of someone else. Some of you here today might be here because of that. So here he is walking around in in this place that God has told him to go. He can't see. He's not eating. He's not drinking water. I mean, he's like taken back. Verse 10 said, now there was this believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision saying, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, I want you to go over to Straight Street. I don't know why it's, is there actually the name of the street? Um, To the house of Judas. When you arrive, ask for Saul of Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he can begin to see. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And we hear that he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest every believer in in Damascus. But the Lord said, go and do what I say, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will have to show him how much he will have to suffer for me." Man, I dig Ananias, and, and honestly, this could preach on its own. I, I literally could do an entire message on just Ananias, but just touching on it for a second. Ananias is following Jesus. Ananias loves, he is a part of the way. Ananias questions God. Really? You want me to go to him? And I want to stop, brothers and sisters, and ask how many times if we were listening to the Holy Spirit speak to our life to say, go and love them, that you would want to say, no way. Let's just think of our country for a little bit. Let's just think of all the things that are happening right now in our country. I'm not naming names. You just go there wherever you want to go in your brain. 
And I'm sure you can think of somebody right now that if Jesus were to reveal to you to go and love and to speak truth to them, you would say, no way. That could be a Christian leader. That could be a political leader. That could be an activist. I don't care what side you sit on. There's somebody that you would say, not him. No way. He's so far gone. He's terrible. She's awful. She speaks, spouts words that are just terrible. In fact, she means to, to take us out. I could think of some Christian leaders that we might even want to say that about. And yet God is like, I love them. I want truth for them. I actually want to use them. I need them in the kingdom. Won't you be my vessel? Ananias is faced now with a choice and a decision. The very man that is about to portray their people, his people, God wants him to go to. If we even just make this personally and take this out of political thoughts or, or worldly thoughts, who in your life has betrayed you? Who in your life that if God were to say, I want you to love them, I want you to reach out to them, that in justice, justice righteousness, you would say, no way, no way. I'm not going to extend my hand to them. I'm, I, I'm not going to put my hand on them and wish them and bless them in the name of Jesus. No way. But something happens in Ananias' heart and something will happen in your heart the more you surrender to the power of Jesus Christ, the love that he has to offer. Something will happen inside you. Something will change inside you. Freedom starts to come not when we stand in our own rights, but when we surrender our rights and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, knowing that his plan is so much bigger and so much greater. Had Ananias not have said yes, Jesus would have got somebody else. His plan will not be thwarted by your decisions. But Ananias got to walk around and go, yeah, hey, you know, I was the one that actually went and talked to Paul and, you know, he got put in the Bible. It's a big deal. He got to be a part of the blessing. Something got to heal inside him. He got to walk in partnership with Jesus Christ. And he got to see a life that was so bound up in hate and religious right and justification be freed before his eyes. This is what happens when we start saying yes to Jesus and no to us. This is what happens when we start praying for our leaders and praying for our country and not just praying, but acting in God's love and seeking restoration for this planet, for our brothers and sisters. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't stand up for things that are wrong, but what I'm saying is the motivation behind it. Check your heart. It's God asking of you because you see, Jesus would have found somebody else. But he chose Ananias to be the vessel in which Paul got to hear and got to feel the touch of love. You have been chosen too. Ananias is not so special. He's just a dude that loved Jesus. You're just a dude or a chick that loves Jesus. You're doing the best you can. So was he. 
So Ananias, verse 17, went and found Saul, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Very first words out of his mouth are words of connection and love. To a man, by the way, that was part of the ordering and murder of his friend Stephen. Wow, that's powerful. What would happen if we started letting go of some of the bitterness, the rage, the betrayal, and we said, I gotta let this go, brother. And he puts his hand on him. Not only does he connect with him with words, but he connects with him through touch and affection. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may get your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales falls off Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized and then he ate some food and he was strengthened. Now I've looked a lot through the word scales, and everybody has these different beliefs on what it was, and we don't know, we weren't there. But something so clearly happened that literally changed his eyesight. He started to see differently. The scales were taken off, metaphorically, physically, I don't know, was it like dragon scales? I don't know, wasn't there. But something so dramatic that the scripture wants to let you know that his eyes were changed. You see, Paul was on the way. He was on the way to cause destruction. He was on the way to hate. He was on the way to murder. He was on the way to chain up. He was on the way to take out. And Jesus found him on the way and changed the way he saw everything. He changed his direction. He changed his purpose. He changed the way he heard things. He changed the way he saw things. He changed everything about the way in which Paul, Saul, was going. Changed it all. But here's something I find interesting. As we see... In the next scripture, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, verse 20, and immediately he began to preaching about preaching with Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he's indeed the son of God. And all who heard were amazed. Isn't this the same man who persecuted Jesus' followers with such devastation in Jerusalem, they asked? And we understand that he came here to arrest them and take them in chains to leading priests. And I don't think I put this on. Oh, yeah, I did. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Even after a while, the Jewish leaders decided, wanted to kill him. And so Paul has to go out. I stop, I, I stop and I, I start reading this, and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul's got new eyes. Literally, like, I think he has new eyeballs. Like, he has new eyes. He has new ears. He has a new purpose. He has like, uh, I don't know, like just all new. Like he's become totally new. But something is not new. Something is not new about Paul. Paul is the same passionate, zealot, influential, speak truth in your face kind of brother he always was. He's still hustling. It's been there from the beginning of time. 
In fact, if we look, which is so awesome in Galatians chapter one, Verse 13, it says, you know that I was like when I, what I was like when I followed Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted Christians. I did my best to get rid of them. I was one of the most religious Jews of my own age, and I tried as hard as possible to follow all the old traditions of my religion. But then something happened. For it pleased God in his kindness to choose me and call me even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. And then he goes on to talk about what his conversion was like. Paul didn't ever change who God made him to be. It was always there. He just lost his way. But God found him on the way. You see, God changes our direction, but he doesn't change who you made you to be. It's just going back and remembering that we were made in the image of God, that God had called you before you were even born. He gave you gifts and talents. He knew I was going to be a hustler. And now he's like, hustle for me, sis. I'm like, I got you. (laughs) That's why I wore my leather today. I need you to feel the hustler vibes. That's who I was. It's who I've always meant to be. I just lost my way. But when God showed up in my life and he started to transform me, man, I had new eyes. I had new ears. I read the scriptures with a new heart. I started to do all the things that I had done, but I had a different direction. You see, talent through the grid of of pain brings destruction. Talent through the grid of religion brings destruction. Talent through the grid of boxes and conforming and condemnation brings destruction. But talent, your talent, God-given, birthed inside of you talent through the grid of his love brings freedom. So now Paul is on the way, not to destruction, but Paul is using the very gifts that he's been given to bring freedom. You see, it's always been there. It's always been inside of you. And even if you don't know Jesus today, even if you came here on your way to searching, I want you to know that where you sit right now, you have purpose there's meaning, nothing you have done. I mean, I'm assuming no one in here has murdered anybody. And if you, we love you. I mean, there's, there's forgiveness. But I'm assuming that when you look at the story in the life of Paul, you're like, oh, I'm doing all right. And yet God wants you to know, I take the most least likely people and I interrupt them on the way to somewhere that's going nowhere. And I start to give them a purpose. I start to remind them who they've always been. You see, it's always been there. Maybe you've had a heart of nurturing and mothering, and I'm just thinking for some of you, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's put on my heart, and you can't have kids, and you go, what am I supposed to do with these gifts and talents? I have this on my heart. What am I supposed to do with that? I can't have my own babies. And I'm telling you right now, we got a world that needs a bunch of mamas. We got a world that needs a bunch of daddies. 
and you think that your gift might be small or your talents might be small or you have so lost your way and you've been looking at everything to try to fill the void. And even in the midst of what's happening in our country and in our culture, the rage is building up and destruction, whether you want to admit it or not, is right at your fingertips. You want to take some people out. And God is going, look, if you trust me, I'm going to give you new eyes. I'm going to allow you to see people the way I see them. It's going to be hard. Because you have every right to be angry. You have every right to be hurt. But it's not doing anything for you. It's destruction for you. You see, the reason why Paul had new eyes was because now he saw the truth. But Paul never stopped being Paul. He was always Paul. From the time he was born, he just now was directed towards something that brought purpose and power and passion and truth and freedom. And Paul goes on to do all kinds of crazy Paul zealot things. He gets in fights with other Christians. He's messy. Speaks truth, very bold. We stand here today because of, because of Paul the very people he tried to take out, the very Gentiles that we are. We are saved. We know of Jesus because of the zealot, boldness, influence, passion, edginess of Paul. Who will know Jesus because of you? It's okay if you've lost your way. Maybe today, as you came on your way here, this is the bright light you needed to say, hey, let's take off the scales. Let's remember who you were and who you are created to be. And let's go on the way towards freedom. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that, uh, man, we're messy. Thank you that you filled the scriptures with messy people. I thank you, God, for Paul. I thank you for what it looked like before, in the middle, and after. Paul always didn't get it right. Even after following you, he made mistakes. And yet, God, you use us, him, when we're willing. When we allow ourselves to be seen for who we really are, when we don't look to our right or to our left and think a talent should look like this, a gift should look like this, I need to be like this. Nope. You're asking for the scales to come off and saying, hey, you are on your way to nowhere. But I want to remind you who you are. Because if you understand who you are, you will be on your way to somewhere freedom, my arms. Lord, I just want to pray for those in this room right now that might not know you as their savior. They've been going down so many ways. They see their, the talents that they have that are destructive. They see that they don't even see them as talents. They see them as a joke, as, as something that's brought pain to not only themselves, but the people around them. And they came in here, stumbling in here, drug in here, or just wanted to come for an hour of just breathing. But you wanted to meet them here today. And you wanted to tell them right now to their heart that I am the way, 
I am the truth, and I am the life. You can't get to me but through my son, Jesus Christ. So all the things that you've been trying, put them down, brother. Put them down, sister. Because God wants to give you a new eyes, a new ears, and he wants to give you a new heart. He says, I will make your heart of stone to flesh, soft, malleable. So God, I would ask that for those here that don't know you as Savior, and they want to know more of you, that they would claim within their heart, I want to know you. Come into my life and invade my heart. Take my brokenness and start to heal. I believe that you are the death and the resurrection of the living God. And I choose to surrender my life to you today. This simple prayer, God, changes everything. So as we're on our way this morning, would you meet us, God, as we worship with you? Amen. Every Sunday coming, Izzy hates this, uh, but just showing up and playing and creating a space for us to worship. I call Izzy Pastor Izzy because honestly, um, it takes pastorship and shepherdness to usher us into worship. So I know this is not like, I guess, Voxy, but thank you guys for doing this every week. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, I love that the universe declares the glory of God. They sing out even when we can't. The stars sing out. And in the midst of a great universe, he will stop you on the way and speak to you. The God of creation who created all things loves you so personally and knows you. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been. He even knows where you're going and wants you to know that, hey, if you trust me a little bit, this road can look a lot different. Um, I'm just so thankful to be here and to be here with you guys. Some of you have asked about our process groups. They are happening. They did happen. Um, they are currently happening, and uh, they're going so well. My husband came home after last Thursday night, and at about 11 o'clock at night started to download um, a lot of words. Uh, and for an hour and 15 minutes, I listened to my husband and was amazed at what happened to uh, what's happening to him. And uh, he's like, man, this needs to happen. Us guys need each other. And I was like, did you guys cry? What was it? He's like, no, there was no crying. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, no, we just sat in a room and just talked. And he's like, and I feel us alone. And it's amazing. And so some of you are asking if those are going to happen again. I wanted, they are, we are going, we're looking at some different options for people who can't commit to that long. The women's group is, I mean, women are all in, but these women, Vox women, oof, they're like, we're in 20 seconds in. They were like, boom, so much so that I actually decided to stay. <laughs> and I wasn't going to do that. It was just going to be one of my uh, counselors that was doing it. But I decided to stay because I was like, this is too good. This group's too good. I want to sit and process. So it's been wonderful. But I wanted to thank you because we were able to, by your gracious donation and financial giving, we were able to sponsor 20 people to be able to be a part of that. That's because of you. 
So thank you for saying yes to Vox and to saying yes to um, to believing that this should be the safest place that we talk about anything. You can't honestly do that here because it's just one person usually talking. I mean, some of you are chatty during service. I love you. Um, but for the most part, we're not processing here. So we need a safe place to do that. And we're, we're doing that. And that's because you guys said yes to that and are honestly giving. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to do that. So thank you guys so much. Would you stand with me so I could pray over you? Um, shoot, we're six minutes over. David's going to kill me. Uh, let me just pray. Jesus, we just thank you for today. I ask that your spirit would come. Be with us, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we are on our way that you would meet us. And if we need a steer in the different direction, if we need to pivot, or maybe we're on the way, but we just need encouragement, I pray that your spirit would reveal himself powerfully to us this week. Help us not forget that who you created us to be is pretty amazing. And we want to share those gifts and talents with the world. Thank you, God, for loving us right where we are and for transforming us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.